to world what we can do we never stop learning okay welcome everyone to another segment of Rita's world and today I have two guests I'm very happy to announce my son Win Weaver he is here today and Bill Chen now Bill the reason I wanted Bill to talk to us because he works with a company in Burbank that make drones or they educate people on drones. I don't know. That's why he's here because I have no idea what he does, but I love because his drones are for peaceful things like finding people and if they're lost. And so anyway, he'll explain all this. But when today brought me to some signs because I had made signs and that I put out in the front of my house and he said mom they weren't professional looking so he had a guy make them so it's I like them it's you know be true and be provocative and be defiant anyway nice signs thank there you, you Wynn that's very kind of you oh Wynn's here because he knows more about drones than I do and he has internet which I do not do. <laughs> so he looked up, I said, now ask Bill a whole bunch of questions about drones. So that's my son and Bill. I'm gonna let you guys talk a little bit. Hey, so Bill, what's, uh, what was the first year a drone was actually flown that you know of? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think the legal definition of a drone having no person out in the UAV is uh, probably in the early 1900s. Uh, I think the first application for drones was uh, for scouting purposes and reconnaissance. So um, obviously there were two very terrible great wars during the 1900s. Um, and during that time, there were a lot of experimentation with using a hot air balloon or, or something similar in order to um, be able to look further than, than what you could on the ground. Um, but since then, obviously, drones have evolved to cover a wide breadth of things, everything from uh, the military drones that we hear about in the news a lot, also to some of the drones that we do as a company, which involve um, the flying drones recreationally on a beach or on a hike, uh, as well as uh, for commercial purposes. And so, obviously, we're here in Burbank right now, and there's a whole industry built around filmmaking and production and um, actually for us when we first started looking into other ways to use drones beyond um, using them recreationally we looked at how can we um, help replace and augment what a lot of the aerial photography and filmography space was doing right so um, you have traditional uh, aerial shots that are used in Hollywood where um, you had a production team that actually had to hire a whole helicopter crew which is very expensive per hour they can charge five to six figures uh, US dollars um, wow. and have the added risk of having That's someone in the helicopter exactly yeah. and so we actually first started our first step into uh, commercial based aviation UAV uh, development was drones that were able to help the Hollywood industry here to um, essentially uh, slowly develop and evolve beyond having a helicopter man crew uh, and so Actually, a lot of the, the big TV shows and movies that we hear about, um, they're either using our products or they have a, a, an in-house team or, or a contracted team that fly our products. Um, again, it's a huge time and cost saver, um, not to even mention the risk of not having a manned crew uh, up in the sky as well. For some of, some of our more enterprising clients and end users, um, we actually have a, a line of more customizable drones. Um, the one that would be used mostly in the filmmaking space for a, a large red camera 
um, would be the Matrice 600. So that one has six different rotors, six different batteries. Uh, it has a carrying capacity of six kilograms or just over 12 pounds. Uh, and so for that, um, you can actually mount up a whole three axis gimbal as well as a red camera in order to uh, essentially capture the shot that you need. And what's the most payload it can carry in weight? As far, what's the, what's the, the biggest drone you guys sell that can carry the most weight? Yeah, great question. So um, I would say the one that we released most recently in North America, uh, the T-16, it's actually an agriculture spraying drone. So for the varying terrain in, in East Asia, uh, having a multi-rotor drone and having more control over the flight path uh, is more, much more desired beyond having a basic crop duster. That way you get more accuracy, you're able to efficiently apply pesticide, fertilizer, uh, and seeds um, based on the data you collect out in the field. You mean a drone can seed a, a farmland? Absolutely. So wow. there's, there's two ways to go about it. Um, we essentially there's one type of drone that has uh, onboard detection systems so what that means is you can have a millimeter wave radar on the bottom that's able to it cycles through like this but it's able to actually detect the the terrain and the contour of the land um, that's more uh, edge-based uh, awareness of what the land looks like and so that will depend depending on the terrain but then there's another type which if you have a, a farm it's probably not going to change year to year and so you can actually build a 3d terrain model um, assuming that your land doesn't change too much um, so that any drone can follow that terrain model uh, in order to fly as opposed to having someone manually fly on a sticks um, and so one thing that's really cool that, that we're working on with a couple of other partners in the space is actually uh, having these industrialized farms have um, sensors in the soil to be able to detect pH levels, to be able to detect lack of nutrients, nitrogen, and other essential nutrients in order for the plant to grow successfully, um, but also having a cheap enough and cost-effective enough method to gather data uh, on an hour-to-hour or day-to-day basis. Using yeah. a special camera, a spectrum analyzer that analyzes um, more or less? Yeah, so the what we're seeing a lot is a multi-spectral camera being used. Um, it is a more specialized camera. It's essentially, it's got the one that we make has six different cameras in a in one big camera. So essentially, each of those cameras is specialized for one band of that electromagnetic Looking for spectrum. one thing in particular. Exactly. And then once you merge all of that together, you're able to do what we call an NDVI analysis. Is to essentially you you come up with this map um, that looks red to, to green, uh, and based on your depending on what crop yield you have, what time of the growing season you're in, um, there are benchmarks that you're trying to compared to, to identify what yield looks like. Use a color scale. Mm -hmm. And once you have that insight of what real time what your farm looks like, you're able to pinpoint um, surgically the, the corrective action you want to take. So instead of having a crop duster fly over a uh, industrial farm and just blast everything with pesticide, right. you're able to know that actually out of this whole field, only this particular area ah. doesn't have enough nutrients or water or pesticides or something like that. One thing that's really interesting right now is that if, for example, the 405, uh, far lane on the 405 gets closed down due to an accident or something happened, um, one of our partners uh, out in North Carolina, the North Carolina Department of Transportation, they're out of all the DOTs in the country, they're really at the forefront of how can we adopt drone usage. And so um, these guys essentially worked with their, the North Carolina State Highway Patrol um, 
department in order to uh, develop this very comprehensive report that compares uh, using drones to take this photo and, and this photogrammetry work versus using a laser-based traditional method. And I think on average the laser-based method would take up to two hours, whereas the drone-based um, system can be done in 30 minutes. Wow. And one, it really the difference is, is phenomenal. And actually, we had a we have another partner up in Washington, um, the Washington State Patrol folks out there. Uh, they're one of the quickest adopters of drone technology for accident reconstruction, and uh, I think they were able to prove to their state to to fund more in the drone space because every minute that their highway is down, it's four hundred dollars that of lost economic revenues for the whole state. And so if you're thinking an average uh, accident can take up hours, right? Yes. Within just the use of drones in one accident already pays for the program many times over. That's because so, they have to document everything before they clear the cars. And exactly. Kind of stuff. The, the yeah. traffic that's caused, uh, obviously the, the risk of having people out on the highway, yeah. um, all these other factors. And in L.A., it's, it's millions of dollars a minute, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the, the, the density of the, the city as well as the right. number of cars in, in L.A., it's Now, it's when a drone takes higher. all these little shots, is it stills or using video or both? For accident reconstruction, if they're looking to build a model, it's right. generally stills. Um, they can either do a manual flight if it's a more complicated environment, or they can do a, a pre-planned uh, aut autonomous flight. So what's the difference in liability between a drone falling out of the sky, say that the batteries fail, and a helicopter falling out of the sky? I mean, how, where does that lie with the, with the, uh, the liabilities and whatnot? Absolutely. So I mean, the, f the first thing that just pops into mind is the fact that with a helicopter, you have a manned aviation crew. So you obviously have the pilot, you probably have a, a a co-pilot, you could potentially have someone who's manning the payload, whether that's a camera or something like that. Uh, you're already talking about potentially risking three human lives or more, right? Um, I think that's the biggest factor that comes into this. Um, I don't need to tell you guys that the helicopter footprint is much greater. And so if something were to happen, there's a, a high chance of collateral damage on the ground as well. That being said, you know, obviously drones can, can get to the same size of a helicopter, but most of the, the areas that we work in, the drones are magnitude smaller in terms of both volume as well as weight. Um, and the FAA has done its due diligence in defining these um, essentially industry standards where above a certain payload you got to have a, a excuse me above a certain uh, weight of the the takeoff weight of the drone um, you have to have certain exceptions that currently is set at 55 pounds um, which is quite reasonable it's about 20 25 kilograms um, again they've determined that something beyond 55 pounds is probably going to cause significant damage as well maybe not to the point of a helicopter but if that falls out of the sky, that, that's a huge liability and risk factor. But then they've also drawn a, a, a lower barrier, which currently is set at 250 grams. So 250 grams is about half a pound. And so um, essentially, if you have a drone under 250 grams, what the FAA is saying, if I may paraphrase, is essentially under 250 grams, the risk of a drone falling out of the sky and hurting someone is very, very minimal. And you know, we make a lot of drones that are under that limit. Uh, that are used by hobbyists and you know, Christmas is coming up so if you want to get your family a drone or something like that you don't want to first of all go for a very expensive heavy one you want to go for a lighter cheaper uh, more cost-effective option um, but oh, between 250 grams and 55 pounds is where most of the drones that both we make and the industry make uh, lie and for these kinds of drones the FAA actually requires you to to register that drone much like you would with a car um, which again makes sense in the aviation space. Do you buy an insurance to cover you on that? Yeah, that's a good question. So 
Um, yes, absolutely. So for uh, a lot of our end users that have fully adopted drone programs, we're talking about mining companies, railroads, um, you know, very heavy industry Commercial environments. Use. Yeah, for these guys, they're, because they're such large Fortune 500 companies, their liability department and insurance, general insurance, is it's, already they're it's already umbrellaed in. Exactly, and so yeah. for them, obviously, they still need to make sure they're they're on top of their uh, risk analysis and, and evaluation. But because they already have such a large coverage plan, it just falls under that. Are they put the verbiage in there, drone specifically? Yeah, so they generally, the, the, the legal team and the, the, the risk team will often get together to work with the drone team in order to develop uh, additional terms, essentially, um, to cater to that particular development. Um, but for a lot of the folks that, um, essentially, they are more smaller mom-and-pop service providers, you know, they don't, it doesn't make sense for them to get a, such a high uh, insurance, right? And so actually there's a whole ecosystem, as we're developing this drone ecosystem, there's a whole subset of stakeholders in that, in that industry, in, in our industry, that cater to mission-based insurance. So say for example, if, if I decide to quit my job tomorrow and take up drone photography for real estate purposes, or to check my, how, uh, my, my um, tiles on my roof, right? If I'm installing a new solar panel, I want to make sure I know how, uh, how much area I have to deal with on the roof. Uh -huh. um, for these kinds of jobs, generally, you know, most folks will require you have some sort of insurance to take on this job as, a, as contractors should. And so instead of buying a whole year long uh, insurance package, you would buy just for that particular mission. So you will tell this particular provider, um, I'm going to be flying this mission this Friday from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Um, I'm going to be flying this particular DJI model or third-party model, uh, and this is what I'm going to do. And based on that particular submission, the software or someone actually at this uh, insurance provider will provide a insurance quote based on what, uh, what your, what your limit, uh, liability is, what your deductible is, all these other factors as well. But I also want to know, let's say I'm out actually. in the desert. What if yeah. I'm in the desert yep. and I'm lost? Mm -hmm. Now, I do have my little, I don't have it with me, my little Mickey Mouse uh, cell phone, not the smartphone, but I could call somebody. Mm -hmm. Well, how can that drone find me? Yeah, that's a great question. So a desert environment is actually, I would say, the easiest out of all the operating environments we could be in. Oh. Um, in LA, for example, you have so many different hiking trails. And as we approach summer early next year, going into summer, um, a lot of tourists and, and locals will start climbing and hiking. And well, let's say hiking course. and climbing. Absolutely. Yeah. And so um, for a lot of these environments, you're looking at rugged terrain, yeah. a lot of uh, trees and canopy that you can't really see through. Um, traditional methods involve obviously having local volunteer groups, uh, having search dogs, public safety, firefighters get involved, um, potentially hundreds of people to comb through acres and acres of field. Right. However, with drones, you're now looking at sending a, a you know, very cost-effective solution in the air with a thermal camera that's oh. very easily able to detect heat signatures oh. um, for search and rescue purposes. And uh, oftentimes, lost hikers and lost campers and general people who are outdoors they get lost and they go into nighttime, which actually is the best time for drones to be finding people because in LA during the day, it's very hot, right? And so uh -huh. the surrounding soil and terrain is very hot. So it's very hard to differentiate between a human body and temperature versus the uh, surrounding environments. But once the, the, the day cools down, that's where you see the huge level of contrast. Wow. And so not to get too deep, but with a the thermal yeah. camera, you can actually customize it such that you 
you have preset settings that look for human body temperature, which is about 98 degrees Fahrenheit, I believe, um, automatically without having to, to tweak it, right? So that way, I wish I could show you, but on a screen, you essentially see a hotspot that just pops out and looks like a person, right? Wow. Or a dog or a deer or something like that. Oh. Um, but that way, you're able to eliminate false positives as well. Is it a person? Is it not? And then some of our drones, once you're able to detect the heat signature, um, you can actually have the drone, there's a loudspeaker system built in, and some have drop payload drops. That, really? Uh, you can say, hey, um, don't worry, we see you, we're on our way, please don't move, because if you move, then yeah. we'll lose your location. But the yeah. drone has built-in GPS, so the search and rescue crews know exactly in, on the world, on the earth, where these people are. Um, and if it's a really urgent situation, they're either dehydrated or um, maybe they had a snake bite or something like that. Um, there are things that, because we have a payload system, we can drop whatever is needed wow. to, yeah. Like exactly. you can drop water to them? Mm -hmm. Water, med medical supplies, uh, within a certain payload yeah. range, but you, sure. can, you can drop these things to make sure that, that they're safe until you get there as well. Yeah. Wow. Well, you mentioned the use of agriculture. What are the other uses of the drones for construction? Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, I think so far we've covered parts of public safety like search and rescue. We've talked about agriculture. Um, we've talked about accident reconstruction. Um, but it, it goes way beyond that too. So our key industries are utilities. So utility inspection, everything from um, power lines and power poles. Uh, as I'm sure you know, the recent uh, wild spate of wildfires in Northern California, Southern California. Um, the ones in NorCal specifically were caused by PG&E uh, because there was this rusty hook that had essentially rusted through wow. and the lines touched the vegetation and sparked the whole fire. They saw the, the hook. Yeah, yeah, the billions yeah. of dollars that were just gone and, and oh. people's lives that were gone just because pe yeah. the, the, the private industry wasn't able to uh, essentially inspect the infrastructure in time. So that's something that, that drones are actively helping with around the US. We have utility companies in, in California and in Georgia and Alabama, all across the country that are using drones um, to identify both metal structures, like the transmission towers, uh, as well as wooden distribution towers that you see on the streets all around us. Any tower structure that needs to be identified and, and inspected can be used for drone applications. As opposed to a man crawling up there on the ladder. Absolutely. And oh, you wow. know, we're what talking about magnitudes of cost savings and risk savings. Isn't just it a miracle? Not having it's someone a miracle. Climb. Construction yeah. as far as building, mm -hmm. buildings, sky yes. rises, everything like this. Absolutely. So m most of the stadiums that are being built, as well as the commercial uh, real estate that's being built around the country now, are incorporating drones into their workflows. Um, construction is a huge industry for us because you're able to to identify real time, essentially day to day, to have a new site map every day. So some of the construction folks that we visit every day, we're talking about dozens of contractors on site, right? So before the, the workday begins, all of the key managers in these different contracting departments and, and companies, they'll sit in a room and get a briefing of the up-to-date site map as opposed to having a site map that's a month out of date with scribbles on it that's a manual pen and paper solution, but now they're able to see it on a flat screen TV. And, and with GPS, uh, your cameras can get to the exact location the Absolutely, next day survey grade. Within yeah. a quarter inch? Yeah, uh, we can do up to two centimeters accuracy. Yeah. You're kidding two me. Two centimeters. Is that yeah. with the wind factor everything? Uh, with wind, with everything. So if you set up a base station, which is essentially a, another, uh, it allows for triangulation of the, the where the drone is and the photo's been taken. Exactly. And so you're getting up to plus minus two centimeters of accuracy, absolute accuracy on the earth. So you can yeah. watch the, the progress and see how the thing's blooming and mm -hmm. how it's working. Exactly. Out. And, you know, if wiring is off two centimeters, that's okay. But if it's off 
20 centimeters, then we're talking about major problems. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's been a boon for the construction industry as well. Uh, we talked about bridge infrastructure earlier. So uh, again, I'm sure I don't need to remind anyone here that LA's infrastructure is not that great. And if you're driving on the highway, it's there are potholes everywhere, just not great, right? And I think as the U.S., most of our infrastructure was built uh, after World War II, right? 50s, mostly. In the 50s, right. Yeah. So uh, we're at that, we're due for that update, right? But we also don't want to just go out and, and rebuild roads. We only want to precision accurately target where we need to rebuild these things. Um, and so drones are able to t detect that. Bridge infrastructure, the, the rail bridges that cross uh, bodies of water, instead of having someone <laughs> climb the metal railing under the bridge or have a man, what they call a man bucket or a cherry picker, a, a come off the side of the bridge and have someone in that claw to look up and under the bridge, you can now have a drone fly it. Wow, I, I'm amazed. <laughs> I'm really grateful that you came in. And, I'm so grateful, Bill, that you yeah. came. I've been wanting because I know you've been telling me that that's what you do and drones, I think. But I'm so impressed. This is, I mean, first of all, agriculture, that's number one to me. I mean, mm -hmm. that's so important for the future, yeah, the food and everything. And and accidents on the freeway and finding people in the mountains and whatever. So I'm so grateful that that Bill and my son, thank you, Wynn, because I wouldn't have known how to ask those questions. So you got the best out of Bill. Well, you're welcome. Thank you, hon. And I would just want to show people just one. I have all these signs, but one of them says, be real. Be empowered, be imaginative, be magical, be faithful, be nostalgic, uh, be real, relentless, be glamorous, and be fearless. So I'm just saying goodbye to you for this segment, and thank you for tuning in to Rita's World. See you next time. See, world, what we can do? We never stop learning. <laughs>